Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From the hill behind his Canberra home, Hugh Pote can see Parliament and Defence Headquarters. Both, he says, betrayed Australian troops, including his son. Private Robert Pote was killed along with two other diggers at a base in Uruzgan province in Afghanistan on August the 29th, 2012. A sergeant in the Afghan National Army known as Hekmatullah opened fire on a group of Australian soldiers as they were playing cards. In his new book, Failures of Command, Hugh says the death of his son was avoidable if, among other things, intelligence about the rising threat of insider attacks had been listened to more closely by Australia's military command. Thanks for your time, Hugh, and my condolences for the loss of your son, Robert. Thank you. It's nearly 10 years ago, 10 years uh, next year. Mm. Do you recall learning of what had happened? Yes, uh, it's something I will never be able to forget. Jenny and I had just come back from uh, a morning run and we came in the back door and at exactly the same time the front doorbell rang and we sort of looked towards the door from the family room and I could see brass buttons of people through the stained glass window and so could Jenny and I think a mother's instinct said to her these people are not going to be the bearers of good news. I had thought the opposite. I thought, these must be some of Robbie's mates from 6th Battalion who were on leave or something like that. Um, I'll go to the door, which I did. And I opened the door and there were two lieutenant colonels there and I knew immediately something was amiss because Robbie's friends would not be at that rank. And there was a male and a female. And the male kept asking me if he could see Mrs. Pate. And I looked around and I couldn't see Jenny anyway. She she was hiding. And um, eventually I said, look, I'm Hugh Pate, Robert's father. What has happened? And I thought he was going to say that because he was the lead vehicle in their convoys and patrols that he'd struck an IED and um, was injured and that's when he said it's my very sad duty to inform you that Private Robert Pert has been killed in action and I I couldn't believe it and I said uh, well you must have the wrong name because I was only speaking to him 24 to 48 hours ago on the phone and he said, 
I can't wake you from this terrible nightmare, Hugh. It's true. And Jenny had heard all this. And she just came in. She was erupted in a flood of tears and was saying, Oh no, oh no, oh no. Yeah, that's the sort of thing that you could never erase from your mind. Robert was killed with two colleagues. That's right. In what's... uh what are known as insider attacks. He was killed by an Afghan soldier who was, in theory, working alongside uh, the troops of whom mm. uh, Robert was one. What happened? What, was the, what were the circumstances in which Robert was killed? Oh, they'd been out on a partner patrol that day in searing heat. I think it was 48 degrees centigrade. And they'd found an IED, which they'd... Um, had to have exploded by a special ordnance disposal team because they need to try and get they they need to get fingerprints and other biometrics from the um, bombs to try and identify from a database who the bomb maker might have been or add those details to a database anyway. So that night uh, they were to fill in time. They were playing cards. Uh, Robbie had. Because he was out of the poker game, he had gone to clean his teeth and ready to bed down for the evening. He came back and was standing behind um, his corporal. He, he leant over to tell him which hand he thought he should play cards. And at that instant, the firing started from Hekmatula. So Robbie was the only one standing. All the rest were sitting. And so he took the full blunt. Uh, of the fire, he was hit with eleven bullets. Uh, as his and his body then slumped over the table, as he as he was being hit, can, more bullets were hitting him. So he probably because he took so many bullets, he saved that saved the lives of most of the others except for Rick and James who were also hit. Yeah. What well, what do we know about? Hekmatullah. Hekmatullah was a, a newly graduated um, Afghan National Army soldier. He'd only been out for six weeks. He was 19 years old. He had done his three months, sorry, two months recruit training. But because he was literate, which was very unusual, 90% of the Afghan National Army and Afghan police were and still are illiterate. He could he, was, he had been educated up to our Year 7 um, standard. Because he was literate, he was given an extra month training to graduate as a sergeant. That was all that was known at the time, but during the court case it was revealed that his father was a, uh, a Muslim imam and close, had close connections with the Taliban. Um, he was from Ghazni province, which was Taliban-controlled. And that wasn't picked up at the time as a risk? No, no. Uh, regrettably, the Australians left all the vetting of the Afghan um, trainees to the Afghans themselves. Is there a suggestion that Hekmatullah was a Taliban plant? Oh, yeah, more than a suggestion. It was um, revealed during, the, uh, during his court case by the um, National Directorate of Security, which is equivalent to our ASIO, um, that he was a Taliban plant um, deliberately there to do what he did. 
So Hekmatullah had joined up the Afghan National Army mm. so that he could kill Australian soldiers. Oh, that's right. Mm. And no one picked up on it. No, no, nobody had picked up on it. Had there been any other attacks on Australian soldiers by that time? Uh, yes, there had been three earlier attacks. The first one was an individual when Andrew Jones uh, was killed. He was shot from a guard tower as he was walking to the toilet in the morning and he was just a cook at that patrol base. The second one was only nine days later when at a small patrol base, patrol base Nazir, the Australians were opened up on uh, with a heavy machine gun uh, well outside the patrol base uh, but by an Afghan national army soldier who, had, who was a member of the Afghans at the patrol base. Uh, he escaped but was later um, found by Australian intelligence. The third one was at the patrol base, ironically enough, that Robbie was based at. Uh, you know, their main patrol base, their forward operating base. That was the most devastating of insider attacks. Three Australians were killed and seven wounded in that attack. And Robbie was killed in the fourth attack in which three were killed and two wounded. So that means seven Australians had been killed in insider attacks and 12 wounded by that stage. 16 days before his son was killed, Hugh Pote says America's top general in Afghanistan ordered immediate improvements in force protection for coalition troops. Hugh Pote says that order was ignored by Australian commanders. Given that increasingly the death toll for Australians in Afghanistan was from insider attacks, not from IEDs, roadside mm. bombs, not from firefights, was enough done, do you believe, to protect Robbie and his mates from the risk of an insider attack? Well, clearly not. The, the results indicate that themselves, but I'll go into that in a little more detail for you. It became clear to General John Allen, who was the four-star US general commanding the 50-nation uh, International Security Assistance Force at that time, it was clear to him that insider attacks were, and as he described them at that time, the signature tactic of the Taliban. We had managed to pretty well um, derail a lot of their other attacks, particularly IEDs, by that stage. Um, so he personally issued an order known as Frago 13. Now Frago 13 set out a series of specific measures that needed to be introduced immediately, not in the fullness of time, in order to reduce the incidence of these escalating insider attacks. It was not just Australian soldiers that were being killed, it was the other ISAF forces uh, that were also in warlike activities in Afghanistan. Now, unfortunately, and this was the subject of, became the subject of the inquest, none of those, or that entire Frago 13 was ignored by the chain of command at the time. So a four-star general commanding all forces, allied forces in Afghanistan yeah. at that time, puts out an order which says that there is a heightened risk of these attacks and these are the new signature tactics of the Taliban. Mm. 
And what, Australia does nothing with that information? That's right. Absolutely. No, they uh, thought that um, what they were doing was sufficient. In other words, being culturally sensitive with the Afghan National Army would save them from further insider attacks. Well, being culturally sensitive for the previous 12 years hadn't saved them, so why should it suddenly do so now, particularly with this incredible escalation in insider attacks which was occurring at that time? Uh, and I might also add that this didn't seem to have resonated with the pre-deployment training. There was pre-deployment training took little or no account of these insider attacks. There was not even a rehearsal in the mission rehearsal exercise before they left Australia for an insider attack. Do you think that had this order from General Allen been observed, Robbie would have lived that day? I'm, I'm absolutely confident of it because this insider attacker, Heck Matula, wanted to escape. He did escape. And he was very clever in the manner in which he went about things. He took into account his uh, training from Australian trainers, that is, evaluate the risk, assess it, and um, then carry out uh, what you want to do in accordance with that risk to minimise the risk and escape. And he fired 26 rounds from the 30-round magazine of his M16 rifle and um, probably 15 of those rounds struck personnel. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. For Hugh, the grief at losing his only son began to be mixed with anger at the attitude of the defense hierarchy. He says their main aim seemed to be to protect the reputations of the officers in the chain of command. You have used the word incompetent with regard to Australian officers. That's quite a charge. Well, I don't see how else you can describe it. You got your inquest. Yes. How did defence treat you during the inquest process? Well, they treated us as though we did not exist. There was never any eye contact by any of the large defence entourage present. Uh, Nobody said anything. Nobody apologised. It was contemptuous, I think, is probably the best word I can describe their treatment to us. 
while you were attending the inquest uh, and in the lead up to it, were you subject to, to being spied on? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Tell, us, tell us about that. What, what, what gives you the impression that you were spied okay. on? I know we were, 100%, I can tell you that. I think it would be irresponsible of me to tell you how I know um, because I, I agree that the measures that were taken in the spying are appropriate to protect our national security. But we were not a threat to national security. Um, I can tell you probably that I can only disclose what's in the book, um, and that is that Kelly Walton, for example, the um, partner of Rick who was killed, Milosevic, was in a cafe having lunch one day. She'd ordered her, sorry, before her lunch order had arrived, she just got out her phone to make a phone call and suddenly on her screen, words to this effect appeared. She is in the name of the cafe having lunch and then they disappeared. And she knew immediately that somebody was watching her and had transmitted that message but it had inadvertently gone to her phone. She looked around to see who it might be, but there were too many people to be able to identify who the spy might be. You um, mentioned in the book another occasion when your phones had to be handed in yeah. and you left to go to the toilet mm. and you saw that there were spooks pulling apart your phones Yeah, yeah. with a senior officer standing yes. over there. Yeah, there was a, a brigadier standing there who appeared to be supervising uh, there were two spooks present. Um, they had the back off one phone, which appeared to be an iPhone. Uh, I could see exactly what was going on. There was one small device connected to a laptop computer. Um, and I was walking towards them and this brigadier turned around and saw me. And I said, I can see what is going on here and I take great exception to it. And he said, his only words were, all right, Mr. Pope. And because I was busting, I then went to the toilet. And that was during, obviously, a closed session of court when they were discussing um, allegedly secret material, which wasn't secret, but let's say it was a, secret, it was a closed session to discuss secret material. So that's why the phones had been collected. Now, when the, um, this brigadier and the spooks came back in and the court was reopened for a public session, um, one of the spooks came over to me and said, uh, oh, look, we, we were just get recording serial numbers of the phones to make sure that people got their phones back so they couldn't say that they didn't get their phone. And I said... Oh, really? Not a great cover story. And just shook my head. I mean, what else can you say? You must, you know, treat me as though I've got uh, an IQ lower than room temperature. The military is all about learning lessons. Do you think it was actually keen on learning lessons from what happened, not just to Robert and his two colleagues on that day, but the previous insider attacks? Mm. Well, I don't, I can't see that any lessons were learned, either from Robert's incident 
or more importantly for the, the earlier incidents. If lessons had been learnt from the earlier incidents, not just on Australians but on other forces, appropriate measures would have been implemented to beef up force protection. And I might add that after the Australians had been attacked in Robert's incident, there was a, a halt was called to all mentoring right across the board, while uh, the whole mentoring procedures were re-evaluated by General Allen. That was halt was for 21 days, almost three weeks. The mentoring process was totally revamped. Australian soldiers then um, outnumbered their ANA counterparts, uh, whereas beforehand we were the small element in partnering, trying to get the ANA to do their own protection to see how they perform, pick up on their mistakes, get them out of trouble when they got into trouble. Um, the whole thing was just totally revamped, which clearly showed that the manner in which Australia was mentoring was um, flawed. Otherwise, it wouldn't have needed to have been revamped. It would have, if, if our system of mentoring was the gold standard, as was claimed during the inquest, well then that gold standard would have been adopted, but it was totally abolished and a new standards were implemented. What about those who say, look, it didn't happen again after the tragic well, event? It didn't, you're right, it didn't happen again because new force protection procedures were adopted. Um, not only that, every single Afghan National Army soldier was re-screened during that 21-day um, halt to mentoring. So is it your argument that they could have done that before the tragic events? Yes, well, they clearly could have because they did then. So it should have been done earlier. When these uh, insider attacks began to escalate, and when I say escalate, I mean exponentially, not just on a slight like that, it's up like that. And the reason, at, particularly at this time of the war, that they were escalating exponentially is that this uh, President Obama had announced that um, Western forces were going to get out of Afghanistan by 2014. So the Taliban wanted to make it look as though they had driven out uh, the Western forces. So Robbie knew before his task force left that they would um, encounter significant, significant battles. Hugh is left to wonder what might have been. He questions why Australian troops needed to be in Afghanistan at all after the killing of Osama bin Laden in 2011. That, he says, completed the operation's primary mission. Nearly half of the casualties Australian forces suffered, including Robbie's death, could have been avoided if we'd pulled out then. The Taliban, so we're told, to take an overview of the, of the whole war now, the mm. Taliban, we're being told, is is re-establishing itself as being probably the dominant force again across Afghanistan. Was it worth it to go in at all? I believe we should have gone, yes. Right at the beginning, uh, following the attacks by Al-Qaeda on the World Trade Center, when they flew hijacked passenger aircraft in, demolished those buildings, killed 3,000 people, 11 of whom were Australians. Now, it was well known that um, Al-Qaeda terrorists 
were being trained in Afghanistan. Uh, we went there under the Prime Ministership of John Howard, who made it quite clear there were two reasons for going. Firstly, it was to destroy the terrorist training camps. Secondly, it was to kill or capture Osama bin Laden, who was the head of Al-Qaeda. And he also stated that he did not want to get bogged down in a long, drawn-out war uh, on a peacekeeping process afterwards. He had envisaged that achieving those two objectives would be fairly short-term. So yes, we needed to go, absolutely. Otherwise, as Robert had said to me when I put the same question to him, these people could have been flying planes into our buildings, our parliament house and so on and so forth. Uh, they were an enemy of the Western world. So the Western world had to come together and deal with it, and it did. And so when bin Laden was killed mm. in 2011, what mm. should have been the Australian response at that point? That should have been it. We should have pulled out at that very point as had the Dutch before us, has had the French, has had the Germans, has had a couple of other nations of that 50-nation force. We should have gone. Had we pulled out in May of 2011, mm. how many Australians would be alive today who are not? After that date, 18 Australians were killed, including Robert, Rick and James. So, in, to answer your question directly, 18 of those 41 lives lost over there would have been saved. So, to your mind, their lives were sacrificed in a cause that was no longer the purpose for going in there? Of course. And, well, how, how else can you put it? It was a lost cause anyway. Why do you say lost cause if it had achieved those initial well, goals? Well, it had achieved those objectives. But the cause of staying was to um, bed down the government of Afghanistan, which had been put there under a, a United Nations resolution after they'd kicked out the government, being the Taliban. The, government, the Taliban was recognised in the Western world as the legitimate government of, of Afghanistan. So the Americans, first thing they did was kick them out and installed um, President Karzai uh, to lead a government under some form of um, democracy, which was the f ridiculous in a tribal nation, which is 70% illiterate. Now, it was never going to work. So when you look at the 41 soldiers who were killed, was the loss of any of those lives justified? At the time Osama bin Laden was killed, we had lost 23 lives, fighting what I consider to be a worthy cause. And what they and their families, I assume, thought was a worthy cause. You understand that when you go to war, there's a possibility that lives will be lost. But given that the, reason, the reasons for going had then been achieved, lives lost after that were clearly avoidable. Mm. So you thought, certainly from that point? Yes, from, from that point on. It was a worthless war. Absolutely. I mean, 
I, I can't be the only one who would come to that conclusion. Mm. So that means effectively close to half of all of the Australian soldiers mm. who died there, and presumably roughly the same in terms yeah. of those who were wounded over there, need not have suffered in that way. That's right, yeah. Um, some might say uh, that this, what we're talking about is the benefit of hindsight. Well, it's not the benefit of hindsight. It's the benefit of common sense. It's the benefit of the objectives of going to war not being complied with. Not being not, enough, essentially. Yeah, and I've heard senior officers say often, well, how do you define success in war? Well, the success in war is defined when the objectives of going to war have been achieved. That's a really easy question to answer. Then, in 2020, the Pots suffered another blow. They learned that Robbie's killer, Heck Matula, would walk free as part of a prisoner swap approved by the Trump administration. As soon as Heck Matula had committed his act, he was added right to the very top of the joint prioritised effects list. Now, any force of those 50 nations had the right to shoot on sight any person who could be clearly identified as one of those persons on that list. Now we knew what Heck Matula looked like, they had a photo of him, um, he could have been killed on site. Now when he was located in Quetta, in Pakistan, he should have been hit with uh, a uh, Hellfire missile from a Predator drone. The US did it every time that sort of thing happened to them. In fact, over 3,000 Taliban commanders were killed from predator drones outside of Afghanistan. So there was no reason not to do it. And you and I wouldn't be having this conversation. That book would not have been written if the right thing was done at the time. We've got this bastard, he's killed three of our men, let's do what we're entitled to do under the rules of engagement and killing. That's what they should have done. But they didn't. They asked the Pakistanis to take him into custody when our intelligence agencies located his whereabouts. And then it took us eight months to get him from the Pakistanis. Now, we don't know why. Hekmatullah was put on trial. Mm. He was put on trial in the Afghan Supreme Court and he proudly confessed to what he had done, which was to murder three Australians. And what's happened to Hekmatullah since? Okay, he was then put into um, Paul E. Charkai prison to await the death sentence. He was sentenced to death for what he'd done. Now, then the Americans intervened and started negotiating with the Taliban and did not involve any of the 50 nations that went to war with them in Afghanistan. Not only that, they did not involve the, Afghan, the government of Afghanistan either. So they took it upon themselves to negotiate with the enemy on behalf of the rest of the world, typical US style. And they agreed with the Taliban to release 5,000 of their prisoners uh, in return for the US exiting Taliban. This was the exit strategy. Now when we think of the ANZUS Treaty, which is a treaty that we have with the United States to help them in war in return 
for them helping us in war. This is a betrayal of that agreement, in my opinion. And Heck Petula now? Where Heck is he? Petula now, as I understand it, is a free person. We have had no confirmation from any Australian authorities, such as DFAT or the Australian Defence Force, which upsets me, actually. Um, we ought to know where he is. And if he's been released, why don't they tell us? They must know. They have. We have a, uh, an embassy in Afghanistan, so why don't we know where he is? I know he's not. He's no longer in Qatar. I have heard from sources that he is back in Afghanistan and has been released. And that was a deal the Americans did? Yeah, that's thanks to the Americans. Whenever any tragic event occurs, we ask ourselves what can be gained from all the pain, what lessons can be learnt to prevent it happening again. These are questions that haunt Hugh Pote. The answer, he says, has to start with true accountability. Do you feel in the end, after the internal inquiry report, the inquest, do you feel anyone has been held to account for the errors mm. that led to the death of your son and his mates? Nobody has been held to account. I can very easily answer that. Uh, you know, when you have an inquest that finds systemic failures that led to these deaths and nobody is held accountable, that's a very simple answer to your question. I don't need to prevaricate. It's definite. Nobody has been held to account. What does that say about our readiness for the next war? It says a lot. It says we're not ready. Simple. Because if you don't learn lessons from history, history is going to repeat itself. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. I'm Hugh Rimmington. Thanks for listening. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.